Well, hey, everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. We're here to talk about being invested, the Invested Podcast. Welcome. Yes, where we talk about mindful investing, what to do with your money while becoming I like a better person. I like the way you say person. that. Mindful investing. That's how I feel. I feel like, oh, like it's very lovely. This is such a different sort of feeling to your money, you know? It's yeah, like, tell me about it. You like watch CNBC and it's these like people who yell at each other and just constantly complain about the things that are happening in the terrible earnings report. And I feel like, no, we should like lighten it up a little bit. I love I love this feeling. I, I, I don't know how successful I am at staying in that very zen Well, I don't know how successful I am either. Yoga star, cool Considering that I have invested in nothing so far. You know, where... We'll find out. The bullets Stay are tuned. flying around you, but you were just <laughs> calm as can be. Sure. Sitting in full lotus. Totally. <laughs> With my, what is it, my third finger touching my thumb. Yeah, just... Not the second finger, the you know, third finger. Like Chevy Chase in Caddyshack. Just yeah. be the ball. Be the ball. Yeah. So the money whole thing, you know, losing your retirement. Or like Happy Gilmore. Just go to your home. <laughs> Don't you know where your home is? <laughs> so the money needs to go to its home. I, I got to tell you, you know, your grandmother, I, I took her to uh, a casino because she loves to play the slot machines. And... We were asking her what her skills, you know, what's the technique that she uses for winning? Because I swear, she wins. Yeah, she does win. It's she wins. It's, it's weird. Absolutely weird. You know? I didn't actually believe her that she was winning so much, and then I went with her, and she just won. Yeah, I've seen it, I don't, many, many times, and I never believed it, but now I believe it. And so I said, "So, Mom, what's the secret?" And she's, "Well, she said you just have to get the money out of the machine." <laughs> Get the money out of the machine. She told me that I have to find the machine that wants to pay. I love that. And I said, how do you do that? And she said, well, I can't quite tell you, but when you try one that doesn't want to pay, you should leave it and go to another <laughs> one. <laughs> and I was like, I still don't really understand the process. Oh my gosh. But I, I can appreciate that if it's not paying you out... Okay. Well, if all the things you're learning in this podcast that come down to us from Ben Graham and Warren Buffett and um, and and Charlie Munger and fabulous investors like Manesh Prabhai and Guy Spear who runs Aqua Marine and I just you know if if, if none of these things seem to work for you then I think you got to go with my mom's thing. Slot machines. Slot machines. <laughs> just go get the money out of the machine. Just get. No, but here's the thing. I don't know what happened. But her ability to win at gambling did not get passed down to me, that's for sure. I don't know if it got passed down to you, but I definitely don't I it. do not gamble. I'm such, I'm just risk averse like crazy. I can't stand it. Well, Putting money into a slot machine makes me nuts. I'm also risk averse, but that's not why I lose at slot machines. It's because they don't pay me. Like, I don't understand why, but it is a true fact that slot machines don't pay me. And it's not fun enough to want to pay them. Yeah, it's not so, fun. So that's why I don't do it. But somehow they pay her. I don't and understand I didn't get how that they, luck. How so that the happens. point is, I have to come up with an alternate method of getting paid out. Well, I was pretty sure a few months ago that, that I finally saw the flaw in the whole slot machine thing. 
I took her to the machines, and she's getting, you know, kind of dementia, where it's like, she she remembers everything from the past, but yeah, the present her, goes away. Her short-term her. is gone. Yeah, short-term's gone. So she said, you know, can I have a little money to put in the machine? I said, sure. So I gave her 100 bucks. So she puts it in, and within six minutes, it's gone. She didn't win. No, it just, I don't think she won any at all. Okay. And it just was gone, right? Okay. She's betting like 20 bucks a shot. Jeez. Yeah. And so she's got <laughs> she's a, a high roller. And she's banging away on the button. Don't have to pull the machine handle anymore. You just hit the button as fast as you can. 20 bucks per shot, gone in five things. Okay, so now she forgets that she'd gotten $100 and asks me if we want to play slot machines. And I put up another 100 And she bangs through that. Maybe 15 minutes, she won a few. She decided that that machine wasn't working, and so she went over to another one, quickly ran through the last of the 100. I gave her another 100. She ripped through that in 15 more minutes, and then I gave her another 100. So I was in 400 bucks, and a half an hour later, there was no money. Okay, so that doesn't sound like winning. No, it doesn't sound like winning. So I said, Mom, let's go get some dinner, you know? I'm just trying to get her to forget that she's in a casino completely, <laughs> and we're just going home, because I have now seen, oh, the odds finally catching up now, you know? Yeah. And so we go to eat dinner, and i got to tell you, I'm a little bit happy about it, because I can't believe she can win money at these slot machines, right? Yeah. It, just, <laughs> it just seems to fight every law of the universe. And so... We finished dinner, and we're walking back out, and she realizes that we're walking back out because these casinos are clever, and they park the dining rooms in the middle of all the slot machines. Mm-hmm. We have to walk by a slot machine. She goes, oh, a slot machine. <laughs> no idea. She's already pumped $400 in. I'm like, no, no, we got we to gotta go, Mom. She goes, oh, just let me have $100, and let's see how we get. Puts in the 100 First punch, 650 bucks. Stop it. Yeah. I got pictures. <laughs> I, go, I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> and then I bet you heard nothing but how that was it just was so It was much so fun simple. And simple. You just got to pick the right machine. You just got to get the money out of the machine. Yeah. Well, we want to get the money out of the Wall Street machine to make a very clumsy can, you know, shift <laughs> yes, over to well, what we're supposed point, to be talking about. The point is that it's not supposed to be gambling. Not supposed to be gambling. Because so, of the aforementioned. No luck that I have exactly. in gambling. Let's get away from the gambling side. Yes. So to do that, we need to know that we're buying something that's worth a lot more than what we're paying for it. So we're getting away from gambling. Because honestly, if you just put your money in an index fund or a mutual fund, and you don't know what you own, and if you own an index, you own everything, then you're just gambling. You're just hoping it goes up, just like my mom in a slot machine, except, you know, maybe the game's rigged a little bit in your favor if you've got enough time, you know, meaning you have over 26 or 27 years. I don't think the stock market's ever had a length of time more than 26 years when you wouldn't have broken even. So on the Dow Jones Industrial Average anyway. And so, you know, as long as you got a lot of time, you're probably going to win at the, at the, at the Las Vegas, at, excuse me, at the Wall Street slot machine. But... Most of us don't have forever like that. 26 years is a long time of making nothing, just getting it back. And so what we want to do is know that we're not just gambling and hoping that it just goes up. And to do that, we need to buy things for less than what they're worth because someday somebody will pay what they're worth. So Buffett calls this, you know, buying $10 bills for $5. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in order to do that, we have to know that we've got a $10 bill. We can't not be we can't be hazy about that 
Yes. And might so be a 10, might be a 20. Last time we went through the lemonade stand. Right. And we talked about the payback time method of evaluating. Which was a little much, numbery. How much the lemonade stand was worth. Yeah. <clears throat> and we basically want to pay for, you know, seven years. We want our money back in seven years or six years would be great. Well, we said eight years last time. Eight years is marginally acceptable. Oh, okay. Because that's what people are willing to pay who are out there doing venture capital and private equity. And that's reasonably acceptable, seven and a half years. We consider that to be a fair price for something if, it, uh, if it's a wonderful company. Um, now, so that's sort of a baseline. Now we're going to move on to a more common way of viewing the value of a thing, which we call the margin of safety analysis. And and this is going to be very numbery, so we're going to make this very short, and then we're going to put the numbers yeah, I know, I on can't, the website. Oh, I can't do too long, on, especially because we're talking about it. I know. It's just like if we could like look at it more easily, it would be different. But um, but I think what we're going to do is is obviously we're going to talk about it, and yeah. then we're going to leave it, and yeah. then and then next time we'll come back to it and we'll talk about it again. Well, I'm going to paint. Hopefully that that'll be the best way to work this out as far as. Uh, you know, making an audio version of numbers. Fair enough. We're, but I'll try to be make these vivid uh, examples if I can. So we'll start so with our is, lemonade stand. Okay. This is called the margin of safety analysis? Yep. yep. Okay. Margin of safety analysis. Because Ben Graham taught Warren Buffett, who taught my teacher, who taught me, who and I'm teaching you, that the three most important words in investing are margin of safety. Knowing what the thing's worth and buying it for a lot less than that means that you can have some things go wrong that you don't expect, and you can still come out of it okay. Get your money back. Sure. Okay. So in order to build a margin of safety analysis, we need to know a few numbers. We need to know, okay, write these four down. We need to know what the current earnings are mm -hmm. for the last 12 months. We call that trailing 12 months earnings, TTM earnings. Okay. So those are $6. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna. Time. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build a number set here. Oh shoot! In a minute. Okay. So we're gonna start with what we had before, but I'm gonna build it because it's not enough to just know what the earnings were. We have to project what they're gonna be uh -huh. into the future. So this is gonna require a lot more than just guesswork. But we're gonna put down some numbers here that we would we would come to know from doing our research. Into first off, are we capable of understanding the business? And second. Does it have this moat characteristic, this intrinsic characteristic that protects it and keeps its margins large? And is it predictable? So that's kind of like, we have to do that kind of homework. But let's assume we've done it. Yeah. And we're really looking to just, what are the numbers here? So the first one is, give me the earnings for the last year, last 12 months. And then I need to know how fast I think those are going to grow pretty far out into the future. I, I don't want to do it insanely far away because it doesn't really matter that far out. Um, what's important is, let's say, the next, you know, seven to ten years, if, if we can predict roughly what that would be. And a big warning flag would be if we can't predict what that would be for some reason. That might tell us right there that this company has enough uh, variance in its earnings, enough changes happening in its industry, you know, we want a business that's simple, that doesn't change much, that we, is very predictable into the future. You know, Warren Buffett likes stuff like C's candy. It's chocolate. It raises its prices 4% a year. It's the same business it's been for 70 or 80 or 100 years. 
Okay. All right. You said four numbers. Are those the first two or are those the same number? Those are the first two numbers. Okay. So, that, so earnings and growth rate of earnings. Yep. Growth rate of earnings projected into the future. So you can't just be like, oh, we're going to have two great years and then it's going to go nothing. Into future seven to 10 Yeah. Years. We'll just call it 10 years. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to grow the earnings, which let's say the earnings are a dollar. We're going to grow those for the next 10 years at some growth rate, you know, 10% a year or 15% a year. We're just going to grow them, and we're going to come up with what those earnings will be 10 years from now. All right. Now, that's the second thing. The, that's the second number is the growth rate. The third number is called a multiple of earnings, a multiple of earnings. It's often also called the price-earnings ratio or P-E ratio. And what this number is, is just a recognition that if you're going to earn a million dollars in your business, then you're probably going to want to sell it for more than a million dollars, especially if you're going to earn a million dollars every year for the next hundred years. If your business is going to earn a million dollars every year, why would you sell it for a million dollars, right? One year's earnings or a PE yeah. of one. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We want to sell it for more than that. In fact, we learned in doing the payback time analysis that we want to sell it for at least seven or eight years worth of earnings, mm -hmm. right? So if the earnings aren't growing, that would mean we would have a multiple of, let's say, eight times earnings. That would be a multiple that if we're a buyer, we would think that that's a pretty, pretty good deal. Is that the same as a payback time of eight years? Yeah. If the earnings aren't growing, it's the same. If the earnings aren't growing. Okay. Yeah. So if you're getting a million a year coming in with earnings, or let's just say earnings and free cash flow are the same thing for right now, which sometimes they are, um, and you're getting that in every year for eight years, then you're going to receive $8 million over the next eight years, and paying $8 million for that company might be a pretty good deal. Because sure. after eight years, you own it free and clear. Got it. Okay. All right. So that multiple that we're going to use is going to get bigger if the company is growing than if it's not growing mm -hmm. because it'll pay back the money quicker mm -hmm. from growth. So we're going to use a multiple as if this was a public company. And in public companies, they give a big multiple, a big, big chain, uh, multiple times earnings in exchange for all of the transparency of information and the liquidity, the ability to sell the company quickly to get rid of your stock in a matter of minutes. So those two things are very valuable and people pay a lot more for those than they do if a company's private and you know you don't know if you've got all the information and you're not liquid at all. You've bought it and you're gonna have to keep it. So public companies sell for about twice as much for the same amount of earnings as a private company does. Okay. So where a private company might have Typical private company might sell for seven and a half or eight times earnings if the earnings are flat. A public company, even on companies that don't grow very fast, would sell for about maybe 15 times earnings. Same company. That's like a typical earnings multiple yep. in the public markets, yep. 15. 15. In fact, that's the average for the S&P 500 biggest companies for the last 140 years. Wow. Okay. Got it. 15. And it goes down in, in really scary times, you know, the Depression, 2000, uh, you know, when we had a big tech meltdown. 
it can go down to single digits, 10, 9, 8. And um, when there's a lot of irrational exuberance and people are getting crazy and they think stocks will never go down, it's gone as high as 40-something. Um, wow. SMP, what did you say it is now, like 26? Well, on a rolling average over 10-year average, it's at 23 right now. So on a rolling average, it's a little bit high. Right. So that's the third number is uh, some multiple that's appropriate for the level of growth that this company has. If this was a public company, we're going to use that multiple. And then the fourth number we call the minimum acceptable rate of return. That means we are going to use this number, this minimum acceptable rate of return, as a way of figuring out what to pay for this business today, given this amount of cash flow growth that's going to happen in the future. So I've got all this growing that's going on or all this money that's going to come into me in the future. What should I pay for that today? And in order to answer that question, I've got to know what my minimum return is going to be that I'm going to be happy with. Okay. And that's going to price the business for me. And that just sounds like a number that I'm supposed to pick. You're supposed to pick that number, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you what a What I mean is it's not a number you find from the company. No, you this don't is find just, it from the this company. Is, I'm just saying like, okay, for me to make it worthwhile, for me to make this investment, I need X amount. Per year. Okay. Yep, that's exactly right. Minimum acceptable rate of return is an annual rate of return. And we use 15%. So we're basically saying we're going to price companies. Like that's the rule one standard? That's the rule one standard. Okay. Yep. We're going to price companies with a an understanding that there's risk involved in investing, that um, you might not make the best choice every time. So when you win, you want to win substantially. Okay? So we're using 15% per year. And we're going to price this business based on those four numbers. So the earnings, the, the growth rate of those earnings, the multiple the company would have on those earnings in the future, and what kind of returns my minimum return. Okay, so let's go do our lemonade stand now. Remember, we had four numbers that we were working out. We had sales of $10, earnings of six, free cash flow of four, and book value of four. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now, that was year one. And we're going to say year one was quite some time ago, five or six years ago. And since then, the earnings and the sales and the cash and the book value have all grown substantially. They have grown at an average growth rate across all of these of about 13% a year, okay? Okay. So we get to look at the numbers historically and see that first they're all growing at about the same rate in this range of 10 to 20% a year, and that you take all of them together and it works out that they're roughly averaging about 13% over a four or five year period. 13% per year growth rate. So that means if you had a dollar of earnings, the next year you'd have a dollar thirteen, and the next year you'd have about a dollar thirty, because you're compounding. Okay. Just uh, backing up slightly, we are now going back to the numbers we discussed last time, right? Which are also four numbers, right? But are not the four numbers you just mentioned, right? Those are the four numbers in um, dollars. So the sales okay. of ten dollars. Now what I've done is I've looked and I've seen, oh, the sales over a period of five years, went to $18. Okay, and so these four numbers that we're looking at now, because we're switching our four, mm -hmm. are sales... Growth rate. Sales, sales growth rate? Yep. 
No, we're just looking at sales, which grew at 18, we're say at uh, 13%. Okay. Per year. So that's really, we've got eight numbers, right? Am I like missing something here? Well, we have four, what we call the, the big four here. Which are sales, earnings, free cash, and book value. So that's right. That's what that's what we talked about last time. Right. And now you're saying there's also the growth rate of the big four. Of, of the big four. Right. So what we got if we got a bunch of financial. Which is statements. different than growth rate of earnings into the future. No, that's the, well, yeah, that's that's a number we're going to derive from the growth rates of these big four. Okay, we're so we're not on, we're not on to the new four. We're still on the old four. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm getting mixed up because like we, we talked about the four last time. I got those. Now we have four that you just described. I got those. And then you started saying numbers and I just want to make sure I know which section we're on. Okay, let's break it down a little bit. Let's say um, in year one, we had sales of $10, earnings of It sounds to six. me like we're going back to the four from last time. Yeah. Because I'm looking at your sheet and I'm seeing that they say sales, earnings, free cash flow, and book value, right. which are the four from last time. Right. So let's just call these the big four. Okay. All right. So these are the key four numbers you pull out of the balance sheet, income statement, cash flow statements. Okay. And um, so we don't have to look at tons of numbers. We have to look at these four numbers each year. All right. So now, first off, we want to see them as a snapshot. So year one... It's sales of 10, earnings of six, free cash of four, and book value of four. Okay, that was year one. Mm -hmm. But now I want to see what they look like in year two. Mm -hmm. And in year two, sales were $12, earnings were $7, free cash flow is $5, and now the book value is $6. So everything went up, but at slightly different rates. Yeah, right, exactly. And we just go through the years of this company on just these big four numbers, and we see that they've changed each year in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, what we're going to do is convert those dollars of change into a long-term growth rate. So if it went from 10 to 12 to 13 to 15 to 18, then we can do a calculation that says, well, if I started with $10 and five years later I've got $18, how fast did my money grow? And it turns out it's about 13%. Good. I was hoping you were going to tell me because I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me to get into the rule of 72 someday. <laughs> we'll talk about how you can think of that in your head really quickly. Okay, so that was the sales numbers. And we've come up now with what we call the sales growth rate. Sure. Okay, now we're going to do earnings, which started at 6, then went to 7, then went to 8, then went to 10, then went to 11. And we see, oh, well, earnings, oh, those also grew at 13% on average. Okay. And then we do free cash flow, same way, and book value, same way. Okay. And we, we look at this and we say, okay, earnings and sales both grew at 13%, free cash flow grew at 15%, and book value grew at, say, 20%. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is look at those four growth rates, and I'm going to say, well, what's a reasonable but conservative growth rate? For this company, if the future looks like the past. So essentially you're just averaging them. Yeah, or just looking at the low ones. Like I've got a if I've got 13, 13, 15, and 20, 
I could be pretty conservative and say, well, I'm just going to use 13. Okay. Or I could average them. There's nothing really wrong either way. If I averaged them, what would it come out to be? It's 621. Let's see. Uh, 6 and 5 is 11. 13. Four, let's see. 6, 1 divided by 4 is 15. So it would average 15. So we would say that our range here is from 13%, which is the lowest one, uh, to an average of 15% if we averaged them all. And we wouldn't be wrong to just say, okay, well, let's use 14%. We'll use the one in the middle or the lower one of 13. 15 might be a little more aggressive, but not a lot. So there's not a fixed guaranteed thing you have to put in here. You, you need to understand the business and you need to know what the future looks like. And when you understand the business and know what the future looks like pretty well, these numbers will pretty well jump out at you. Okay. So right now we've forgotten everything you said in the beginning part of this mm -hmm. about the new four. Right. Forget and we've gone back to the big four right. from last time. Right. And then you found the growth rate for each one of those. So then we had four separate growth rates. Right. One for earnings. Sales. Sales. One for earnings. Yep. One for free cash flow and yep. one for equity or book value. Yes. Then you took those four and instead you could average if you want, but really you just kind of pick a number between the high and the low. That seems right. That seems right. Based on you being capable of understanding and doing your homework about what the future looks like. I'm with you. All right, cool. Okay. Well, that is our second number. So our first number, let's say, is just the last year's earnings, which in this case, let's say, is $11. Okay? I mean, that's just given to us. We'll look it up. It's on a website that says, for this lemonade stand, the trailing 12-month earnings are $11. Okay. All right? And so that's the first number we needed. And the second number now, we've decided... Wait, now you're, at, now you're back to the new four. Oh, I see what you're talking about with the new four. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, these are really different than the, than the big four growth rates. These are the four numbers you need to calculate your margin of safety analysis. Yeah. And these numbers are trailing 12 months earnings, growth rate of the earnings into the future... Um, the multiple of the earnings in the future and the margin or the minimum acceptable rate of return of 15%. So we know we're given the $11 of earnings. That's a given for last year. We just calculated the growth rate for earnings in the future to be something 13, 14, 15-ish. Let's just use for fun of it 15% because it's easy. Why would we use something for the fun of it when we know exactly what the growth rate of earnings is. Oh, well, we're sort of, remember we're sort of speculating that's in a range of 13 to 15% based on averaging these growth rates? That, yeah, that was averaging the growth rates. But if you want specifically the growth rate of earnings, oh, and we oh. know the growth rate of earnings, gotcha. why would you use the average number instead of the actual number? Very, very good question, Daniel. The reason is, is because public companies, which is what we'll be working with, uh -huh. and private companies, which some of us will be working with, people who run those things can manipulate numbers by doing clever little accounting tricks in order to fool you to think that a specific number is really a lot better than it is. And the number that they want to fool you the most with 
is earnings. (laughs) (laughs) So they would like to fool us into thinking that the earnings are better than they are, growing faster than they are. And the best check and balance against that is to look at the big four growth rates because it is impossible, short of completely just total fraud, of making up numbers and just hoping they don't get caught. And, you know, they always get caught and they always go to jail. So, you know, these guys are signing their lives away saying these numbers are honest. So they can they can only cheat within the range of generally accepted accounting cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do that and they manipulate earnings, other of the big four numbers go bad. Say that again? Well, you've got sales growth, you've got earnings growth, free cash growth, and book value growth. Oh, you mean you the numbers become become numbers that are not favorable to the company. Exactly. Oh. So if you try to make your earnings look better than they should be, something's got to give. Got it, got it, got it. Might be your sales go down, might be your free cash goes to zero, might be your book value doesn't have any. So something, it's very, 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 very rare, as in I don't think I've ever seen it, where a company has all of these four growing at about the same rate. And they have manipulated it and haven't done any fraud. Okay. So okay. that's why so we're looking at all four. Even though we know the actual growth rate of earnings, we are going to use a chosen number. Yeah. From the av- from not the average, but kind of the average yeah. of the big four. Yep. Okay. Hey, we're going to look at these big four and we're going to use our experience with understanding this business and project into the future a number that might be bigger or low or smaller, depending on what we think is going to happen for real. Okay. And we have the first number that you said of the of the new four, which is just earnings. Right. Do, do we take that That's for straight from the statement? Pretty much, as long as it's not a suddenly marketedly marketably different number. Like let's say earnings have been a dollar, dollar twenty, dollar forty, dollar sixty, two dollars, two ten. And all of a sudden, it's $5. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we're not going to buy that. They, okay. Maybe they sold a piece of the company, right? Something went way weird. So that we red flag that. So as long as it's kind of in this sort of linear growth that we've expected to see, we'll use it. Okay, so we've got the first two of the new four, right? Right. Okay, I'm good. That's all I can handle today. <laughs> Can we do the can we do the other two? Sure. Next time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So here's what I've got in my mind. I've got that we've got the big four, which we talked about last time. Yep. Then we've got the new four, which are being called margin of safety analysis. Right. And we have to come up with the growth rate of the big four in order to inform the growth rate we're going to use for the margin of safety analysis. You got it. That is dead on the money. By the way, <laughs> listen, listen. here's the best part of this. I feel like you're like, good job. This is so cool because this is in the world of MBAs. This is called a discounted cash flow analysis. And it is requires an Excel spreadsheet skill set. And it requires a lot of training. And you have to do these big formulas. And we are doing this right now. And you're doing it really well. Yeah, okay. congratulations. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I guess we better call it right there I'll while we're that. ahead. Yeah, let's, yes, <laughs> let's quit while we're ahead and we'll, we'll get destroyed next time with the rest of it. All right, cool. By the way, um, we're going to put these numbers up on the podcast website. So go to investedpodcast.com and look at the show notes and you can just see the numbers um, right now while you're listening to the podcast. If you're not driving, if you're driving, 
don't look at the numbers. Yeah. Look o- at the road. Oprah says don't text and drive, so I don't. <laughs> Gotta love Oprah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So, I guess it's time to go play. All right. Bye, All right. everybody. See you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.